0: Y'all are too kind, I, I just, man, this is a blessing. Well, good morning, church, I'm happy to be here. This is a blessing, um, but I do have some questions for everyone. I wanna know, just kind of a, not a show of hands, but just a quick survey, how many of you have worked for a boss that absolutely just got on your nerves? Amen, I mean, hold on, hold on. Let me be very careful here. Let me just say something. Wait, I, let me just, let me be very careful. I know that Pastor Ron is my boss and I'm not talking about him. I'm not talking about him. I'm not talking about Emily. I'm not talking about anybody else here. Uh, it's not a distress signal or anything like that. I'm just asking, it's not a blink twice. It's not the don't, don't think anything. I just wanna ask a few questions is, and, and I'm, I'm seeing that this is kind of a common theme. You know, People have worked for people that we don't particularly like. Maybe it isn't a boss though, but maybe you had a coach when you were in elementary school, in middle school, in high school, in college, and that coach was, they just killed your self-esteem. Like they should have been the person to build you up, but they didn't. Maybe it's not a coach, maybe it's not a, maybe it's not a boss, but maybe it's a, a parent. You know, maybe your parents were not actually the people they should have been. You know, the heart behind why I ask this question is this. Have you ever had an authority or authorities in your life that were honestly kind of terrible? The simple truth behind all of this is that in some way, shape, or form, probably we've experienced this. You know, whether it be a parent, a coach, a boss, there's been someone that's been over us as an authority in our life that was not great. It's an unfortunate reality of this life in a broken world, but I have a follow-up question to this. Considering that we know this is kind of reality, how do we, as Christians, respond to that? If this is a reality of life, How do we as Christians operate in that? And it's a great question, it really is, and it deserves a good answer. And there are perhaps few other answers that would do this question justice like studying David's relationship with Saul. You know, we're right in the middle of a series called Walking with the Giants that's focused on various aspects of King David's life and has been absolutely spectacular so far. You know, Pastor Ron and Pastor Landon, they've they've really done a great job teaching through the first few weeks of this. And and, uh, today we're gonna continue on with this series and talk about the honor that King David had for his own horrible boss scenario with King Saul. You know, I pray throughout this series that you've been inspired, convicted, and have learned from the mistakes of David. And I also pray that this morning is no different. You know, it's, it's a beautiful thing that we get to study a life of a man as great as King David was. So, as always, I am humbled and honored to teach the word. And with that, let's go ahead and get started. So I wanna kinda align us with a lens that we're gonna look through this passage that we're gonna study. And I wanna talk to us about something called direct versus delegated authority. Now, direct versus delegated authority What I mean by this is that God is our direct authority in life. Through his word and his spirit, God directly guides us through life. He is the ultimate source of authority. And, you know, when I say something like this, for most people, especially if you're in this room or you're watching online or you're kind of familiar with church, that's not a weird concept. Like, that makes sense. He's God. Of course he's our direct authority. Of course he's our ultimate authority. And we, we will see in this story and in every other story like ours that God is the direct source of our authority. Not a crazy concept. However, what's less straightforward and more troubling for some people is the idea of delegated authority. Because delegated authorities, they're not God, but rather they get their authority from God. You know, the delegated authorities in our lives, those are what I said earlier. They're the bosses. They're the teachers. They're the parents. They're the law enforcement officers. And yes, even elected officials. You know, in our story, what we're gonna study, Saul was a delegated authority in David's life. And we may or may not realize this, but the Bible speaks actually a lot about delegated authorities. In one instance is in Romans 13. Romans 13 verses one through two say this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. Don't miss that. Because this passage is telling us that every delegated authority in our life has been placed there by who? God. And therefore is worthy of honor and submission like we would honor and submit to God. You know, as we'll we'll see in a little bit, David models this very murky, gray, kind of weird tightrope very well. And and to David, if he dishonored his king Saul and rebelled against him, it would not be a man-to-man issue. Not for David. For David, it's a God issue. If he rebels against Saul, he's rebelling against God Almighty. And that's not something that David ever wanted to do. Now, through this really difficult tightrope that David walked, he modeled something for us that we need to get in our lifetimes, especially in this weird 2024 culture that we live in. Because for David, submitting under authority that has been placed in our life acts as an umbrella to cover us. And when we step outside of that umbrella through rebellion, we step out from under the covering. You know, like, like a model of this that we can see and kind of just grasp on so well is children. Children are covered by the umbrella of their parents, which is their delegated authority, who have been placed there by God, who is their direct authority. You know, that, that makes sense to us. But when we step out into the workforce, all of a sudden our boss is not our delegated authority anymore. But, but the Bible is saying, and King David modeled that what's true in one instance is true in all instances. Your delegated authority is from God. And I, I know when I say this, you know, there's defenses and objections that kind of go up to that statement. And honestly, I understand. Like leadership, like on a big, broad scope, people who are in authority honestly, in this day and age, have done a lot to prove that they're not necessarily the best people. Totally. That is a true statement. However, we should rest assured in knowing that when delegated authority, when they contradict God's direct authority, God's direct authority takes precedent. You know, that that, that covers us, that keeps us safe. And we see a great example of what to do here in the New Testament. Acts 5 29 says this, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And the context of that verse is whenever the Jewish Sanhedrin council told the apostles, don't preach the word of God anymore. And Peter was like, no, God told me to preach. I'm gonna preach. That's our covering. And that's our instance where God's direct authority takes precedent. Now, like I said, that was really just a a big aligning of our lens because now what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at 1 Samuel 24, 1 Samuel 24. Now, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to that. But if you haven't been here for this series or the Bible is kind of new to you, I kinda wanna just give you a few quick things to make sure that we're all on the same page for this for this passage. There are two main characters at play. David is one, and the other one is Saul. Now Saul was the first king of Israel, and he didn't exactly do things the right way. David was a young man called to be Saul's replacement many years before he would actually arise to the throne, and David and Saul Obviously, had a complex and odd relationship because of this. You know, Saul was supposed to be his mentor, and he was in a lot of ways. But Saul was kind of insecure and he felt threatened by David. David, on the other hand, he loved Saul and he looked to Saul to be a father figure in his life. You know, this this relationship that Saul or David had with Saul was very important to David. Now, when we take a look at Saul again, we would say that Saul was a man who was troubled. You know, the Bible literally said he was battling his own demons. And this is an issue that manifested itself in not always treating David the right way. Like I said, Saul was troubled, but David, because this was such an important relationship to him, he just wanted to get it right. He wanted Saul's approval like he wanted a father's approval. And for a deeper in-depth study of that relationship and kind of what brought us all here today, I do encourage you to go back and listen to the first three messages of this series. But for our purposes today, we're going into 1 Samuel 24. Verse one says this. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of En Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds. By the way, there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, here is a day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So at this point in time, we have to understand a few things. Saul has tried to kill David multiple times. So of course, David is on the run from Saul and he's seeking refuge in various places. Now, some people would set this particular situation up decided to rat David's location out to Saul, which prompted Saul to take 3,000 of his finest men in search of David. I can't read minds, contrary to popular belief, but my assumption is that Saul wasn't exactly going to try to hug it out with David. I mean, we have 3,000 of his finest soldiers. It's probably not gonna end well. We don't know what's gonna happen. We can assume it's not exactly a peaceful transfer. Now, it is said that David was at a place known as En Gedi. And En Gedi is actually a decently well-documented place located on the west shore of the Dead Sea. What we know is that En Gedi is one of only two freshwater springs located on that western shore, and it has an abundance of land that is ripe for agriculture. Now, other accounts have referred to En Gedi as what's known as an oasis community or a place of refuge. And we do see that it's also a military stronghold, and we'll see that towards the end of this actually very passage. Now, I tell you that not just so that you guys have some weird trivia knowledge, but I do think that there's something significant about this place called En Gedi. While David was fleeing from Saul, God saw it fit that David would be led to a place that included a spring, and abundant fields. So even in times of immense trouble, God provided David a place of refuge. David was led to a place with still waters and green pastures. You can't tell me there's not something there. You know, when you're hurting, when you're struggling, when you're on the run, when you're trying to take cover, the Lord will provide a place of refuge. I I just, I think it's so cool that the man, David, who wrote Psalm 23, really got to experience what it meant to have the Lord be his shepherd and to be led beside still waters and green pastures. I mean, that just blows my mind, the kindness of God that we see. And, and, And even when we continue on, while Saul was, was passing through and searching for David, Saul has to do what everyone has to do during a long trip, relieve himself. And like something straight out of a Seinfeld episode, (laughs) Saul chooses to have his alone time in the exact same cave that David and his men were hiding in. I mean, that's a weird coincidence. I can imagine the awe and disgust that David and his men must have had at this weird scenario. Because here we have Saul, the jealous, paranoid, murderous, God-abandoning king in a vulnerable and distracted position at the footsteps of David, who's been abused and slandered and mistreated by Saul. If we zoom out for a second, by this point, David has already been anointed king. He was already Saul's successor and Saul did not want to give up the power hence the bad behavior. You know, if we were in David's high pressure situation, our thoughts could be something of the following. I am the rightful next king of Israel. The man who is supposed to be training me is actually abusing me. I have the opportunity to end all of my suffering by if I just kill him. Because I know I will be king, but I can be king now if I just kill him. You know, I mean, at this point in time, Saul has already tried to spear me. And he's also led smear campaigns against me. He's ruined my reputation and he stole my wife. Like it would do me a lot of favors if I just killed him. So David is faced with quite a dilemma. Do I submit and honor the king or do I rebel and do things my own way? Do I wait for God to work things out in his timing or do I force it to happen sooner? You know, there's a spectacular book, and it's called A Tale of Three Kings. This is the cover of it. It's written by a man named Gene Edwards, and it kind of serves as a creative retelling of David's life. You know, I would go so far as to say this book is honestly required reading. I mean, it is that impactful, especially with this series. So I highly recommend you pick up a copy. But I want to read a quote from this book, and it kind of put David's dilemma in a great perspective. It says this, nonetheless, the king was mad and therefore he was jealous or was it the other way around? Either way, Saul felt threatened by David as kings often do when there is a popular promising young man beneath them. The king also knew as David did that this boy might just have his job someday but would David ascend to the throne by fair means or foul? So if we zoom back in, David's voice, you know, his men that are keeping him comfort, they're like, hey, look at this situation. Look at how God is delivering you. I mean, can you believe this? And in verse four, they give a reference of a supposed prophetic word that was given to David as proof that he should just go ahead, rebel, and off Saul right then and there. And as far as I can tell, on that verse four, There is actually no cross-references in Scripture from what these men are saying. Which can mean a few things, but it definitely means that it's entirely possible that these men were at worst making up a word of God and at best, which is not really the best, they were twisting a word of God to fit what they wanted to happen. Like there's a, Whole separate sermon there. But we need to be extremely careful that we don't twist or make up a word of God as a masked proof to just give our flesh what it wants. Like like the heart is wicked, don't follow it. As one commentary I read about this particular passage says this, neither our desires nor our circumstances are good guides for the will of God. So David considers his options and makes a decision And he goes and spares Saul's life and cuts off a part of his robe. In verse five, it says this. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So, David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. In our minds, David had every right to kill Saul. If we remember, after all, Saul was trying to kill him. But instead, David decides to give Saul, we'll call it a small wardrobe malfunction. In our minds, David gave Saul a peace offering. He could have cut off his head. Instead, he cut off a robe. But David's heart was so tender and he was so concerned with pleasing God that the Bible says his heart struck him. And we may say he was wrecked. He could not believe that he had dishonored and defiled the king, someone he ultimately viewed as a father figure in his life. And in such a way, in that day and age, the robe of a king symbolized authority. So as part of the Levitical requirements, the end of the robe, they had tassels on them, which would have basically said that Saul was honored before the Lord. And so when David cut off the end of it, he most certainly would have cut off a part of the robe that honored him before God Almighty. So essentially by doing so, David was effectively saying that he did not honor Saul, nor did he care that he was now in a place of defilement before God. In David's mind, this was an overt attack on God. And he 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 forbid his men from following suit, all but letting Saul walk out virtually scot-free. But David in this exchange communicated something. And it's a lesson that we have utterly forgotten because all authority is ordained by God the office of authority is always worthy of honor even if the person holding it is not honorable and only a man that has truly understands the connection between direct versus delegated authority could see the cave situation like this. you know we see verses 8 through 15. And What we see here is kind of an interesting, beautiful scenario. Saul has already kind of gone out, and I'm just summarizing here, but Saul has already kind of gone out. He's already away. David was convicted, and so David runs after him to the foot of the cave, and Saul's ways away. He yells at Saul and says, hey, look, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Like, behold this day, your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And someone, some told me to kill you, but I spared you. Like, that's a direct quote from the scripture. He was trying to communicate to Saul that he was not actually trying to kill him. And instead, what David does is he shows Saul a great deal of honor. And you guys can read this line for line whenever you get home, but he really honors him he really lowers and humbles himself and honors his king. And the interesting part about that is that David honors a man who is not worthy of honor because of the call of God on that man's life. You know, to David, that was a God matter, not a man matter. He doesn't kill Saul and he still addresses Saul as my Lord, my king, and anointed You know, I can even imagine David saying, you're like a father to me. Why are you trying to kill me? There's just a a lot of tension happening in this relationship. And after proving to Saul many times over in this short exchange that he was not the man Saul had made him out to be, he takes the humble position of allowing God and God alone to judge. And to kind of summarize the last little bit of that story, 16 to 22, What what essentially happens is that as soon as David had finished telling Saul, like, hey, I'm not actually the man you have made me out to be, Saul and David, they split up and they go separate ways. And the last parting words that David had said to Saul was let God be the judge between us. And it ended in no bloodshed and no prisoners and no awful scenario. It's, It's a great ending to the story because Saul seems to have a moment of repentance, a moment of clarity, although unfortunately it was short-lived. Because as it, it doesn't take two chapters later before he pursues David once again. But that's a different sermon for a different time. So reading through what we just read, understanding the rest of the context in the story, we asked a question earlier that I kinda wanna bring back to our attention. How do we as Christians respond to being under a bad authority? Like I said, it's a great question and it demands a good answer. I think by honestly taking a look at David in this scenario, we see some things that um, he learned that we also should learn. Because David learned that he had to be three things in this cave scenario the first thing that David learned was that he had to be teachable. You know, being teachable is simply the position of recognizing that you do not know everything and that people above you have at least something to give you. This is a a great curse across generations. And it's something that the author C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery. It's pretty good. He said, basically, that belief is that since I am younger than you are, and I have more access to information on something like this, I'm better than you. That's what chronological snobbery is. And even though that may not be words that are actually spoken, that belief exists. I know more than you, therefore, I can't learn anything from you because I have more information. Let me just say something. You probably don't have to have me say this, but my generation, Gen Z, is awful at that. They are. It's really bad. And honestly, if we go back to the story, there are a lot of times up until this point that David, he honestly should have been teaching Saul. So like David could have easily fallen into that chronological snobbery. Like, dude, I know more than you. You should not be trying to spear me through a wall. Saul skipped out on defending his kingdom multiple times, including the one that we heard last week against the Philistine giant. But David realized that God had to have placed Saul over him for a reason there was something in some way that David could learn from Saul. So rather than point out every little flaw and even the big flaws, David knew that he could learn a thing or two from Saul, even if it was what not to do. So David learned how to be teachable and so should we. Number two, Be submitted. Be submitted. To be submitted means we have to resist rebellion. It just comes with the territory. And we have to resist rebellion from two ways. From our own hearts, and I'm pretty sure deep down, David probably faced thoughts of wanting to be king immediately. Like that was the rebellion that we didn't we don't see it but we know David was human and we know if we were in that position we probably would have had the thoughts. So David had to resist rebellion from himself. And so do we. The more dangerous one though is resisting rebellion from others. Because if we remember what we do see, David's friends were the ones telling him to take matters into his own hands. David's friends were like, do you not remember what this guy has doing to you? Just kill him. This is God's deliverance. Like imagine that pressure that David must have had and his friends, the ones who should have been holding him accountable, were the ones telling him to sin. David had to resist rebellion from his own heart and from others, and honestly, on that second one, with the defending against rebellion from others, that's a situation that I know all too well. And I'm gonna get a little, actually not a little, I'm gonna get very personal for a second. Um, A few years back, I had a group of friends that came to church here, who all carried a lot of hurt in their heart towards authority and the church as a whole. And these people were very close to me, and I cared a lot about them. And over time, their past hurts grew into present offenses and eventually a full-on hatred of this church and the church's leadership people that I had known my whole life to be honorable and faithful. And because I was friends with them, they shared their hearts with me many times over. And one fateful night forever changed my life. They told me absolutely everything that they hated and they said that they were leaving because catch this, God told them to. They told me they wanted me to go with them because God told them I needed to leave as well. So let me back up for a second and tell you my scenario. I had just been hired on staff just a few months ago. I've been here my whole life since I was three years old. They had not, and until this point, Nothing had ever severely bothered me. Now, I wasn't perfect. I was certainly immature. And I carried hurt feelings from things that I should never have carried hurt feelings from. But I never, ever entertained a full-on rebellion like this until this point. Because you would be amazed at what shared offenses will do. Because I was about to walk. I was gone. Thankfully, by God's grace, I have people who love me and who love me enough to hurt my feelings. Because they told me the truth. I'm honestly not sure what in that moment drove certain people in my life to fight for me. Because I'll just say it, I was a knuckleheaded idiot, I was. I was about to leave a place that God had called me to over offenses that weren't even mine to begin with. Sadly, and it breaks my heart to this day, my friends left. And I have had extremely limited communication with them ever since. I don't know what has turned out of their lives, but I do know how mine has turned out since that season. And while I have made plenty, plenty more dumb mistakes, and I can promise you I will make plenty more, the Lord has blessed me beyond my wildest dreams since choosing the right path. Like, if I look at the crowd for a second, And I think that if I had walked down that path, I would not be here preaching this word to you. Like if I look and I see my friends in the crowd, the people that have been there for me when I did not deserve to be there for, I wouldn't have them. If I look at the parents in this crowd, I would not have the honor and pleasure of partnering with you and discipling your kids. If I look at at my fiance in the crowd, I would not have known her and I would not be marrying her if I had chose the wrong path. Like it was nasty and gray and broken and it was a tightrope, And there was a lot of times where I thought I might've chosen wrong because that's what the flesh likes to tell you. But it's like I said earlier, Staying undercover is never the wrong move. And like we see with David and his men, I know what it was like to have to decide to do the right thing when people in your life are telling you to do something else. Submission, it can be painful at times. And it is often tested when there is disagreement. Disagreement but by aligning and submitting to godly authority, it's a beautiful thing that can bring a lot of peace. That's the second thing that David had to learn how to be. And the third thing is this, be broken. David had to learn how to be broken. What I mean by that word broken is that he had to have his will, his pride, and his desires broken. You know, we hear that word broken and we kind of like wince. We're like, ooh, I don't wanna be broken. And it's not a lot of word, it's a word that does not have a lot of glamor in this society, in this world. But in the kingdom of God, it's a badge of honor. And it's not that God desires us to be a hot mess day in and day out. It's that God desires that we, that, that we see the sin in our life broken. Like that part does need to die. That part does need to be broken from our lives. And that's what God desires when he calls us to be broken. Not that we are just walking around weeping and in tears all the time. It's that the sin and awful desires that we have are done. It's the things that do not honor him, those are the things that are broken. Because a broken and contrite heart is one that can be used and molded by God. In the life of David, this was characterized as him being a man after God's own heart. And honestly, I've wrestled a lot with that, about what it really means to be broken. Because again, I'll just throw it out there again. I kind of pride myself on being someone who is strong who is built for tough times, like, yeah, I can handle it. I got this. But I've begun to realize something, that I am holding that as an idol in my life because I always focus on myself when I say that. Like, yeah, I'm strong. I can handle tough times. That's not right. I recently asked the Lord, how can, how can I do this, God? How can I have a strong spirit and be broken? Like, you know, is there a way? Like, can I just please? Like, I'm strong, God, remember? And the Lord responds to me with, you don't combine them. Because being broken, being broken before me means that you recognize it is not on your strength that you do things. It is a full recognition of knowing that you are dependent entirely on me, and what you are looking for is not a strong spirit, but an, a strong spirit, but an empowered spirit, where you have laid your efforts down, and you have allowed your my spirit to empower you. Now again. Brokenness is not being a mess. Brokenness is realizing that God and God alone is the source of all that you need. It's when your sin and your flesh are broken away from your life through submission to the Lord in everything, especially in painful situations. There is one man in scripture who understood this more than anyone else and it's Jesus Christ himself. Because the author of Hebrews writes about Jesus in this way. Hebrews five, verses seven through nine says this. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Jesus fought through emotion. To him who was able to save him from his death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus was praying to the Father through tears and cries, saying, God, will you please save me from my death? And and Jesus was heard because of what? Because of the honor he had for the Father, because of the reverence he showed him. And although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. This is God himself learning to submit when he was in the days of his flesh. If Jesus has to learn how to submit, how much more so do we? And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. That's powerful. Y'all stand with me. I have a final encouragement to you guys. Now, this is a tough message. Like, I'm not inexperienced with communicating, but man, this message has been weighing heavy on my spirit. Like I think there's a lot of spiritual stuff that happens when you talk about submission and authority because it's so countercultural. And my 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 encouragement to you guys is this. Be patient in God's timing as he works everything out in your life. I have a dear friend in my life and many of you know him and love him. It's Pastor David Robertson. He said this to me a long time ago, and I will never forget it for the rest of my life. The right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. So catch this, if David had killed Saul in that cave, he would have gotten his rightful place, he was already anointed, but at the wrong time, which would have been a disaster. And I wonder how many of us, and I am asking myself, how many of us are trying to force God to give us something that he knows we are absolutely not ready for? Like it might be rightfully ours, but we are surely in the wrong heart space. Like I wonder, what is that battle in our life? And I I do implore you, please search that. And the last thing that I wanna do is I just wanna pray for you guys. And I wanna pray for, really, I wanna pray for all of us, but I I think that I can capture about 95% of the room if I say these two things. This message has potentially convicted some of you to the point where you're like, you know something? I call myself a Christ father and yet I'm rebelling against the authority that God has placed in my life. Like I wanna pray for healing and restoration if that's the case. I wanna pray for for repentance if that's the case. But on the other side, I wonder, I know it's probably a lot of us, how many of us have actually been in a Saul-like situation where the person who was supposed to love us, protect us, help us be raised up and matured is the person who ultimately destroyed us. And when we hear that word submission, we hear that word rebellion, we hear that word authority, and it's like, here we go, it's another church that's talking about this. And if that's you and you're hurting like, please hear me when I say this. Christian Life Church is a place where you are okay to not be okay. Christian Life Church is a place that desires healing and restoration. We wanna see it. We love you guys. We wanna see how I'll grow and find freedom. So any, of the, any across that spectrum, if this message touched you, let me just pray for you. Y'all bow with me. Lord Jesus, God, thank you so much for this morning. And God, thank you for your spirit empowering us, God. And Lord, I just pray for the people in this room, God, where this message has just convicted them. Lord, I pray that you would meet them in a place of just forgiveness, God. That you would meet them in a place where, where they can just feel your love, feel your presence, Lord. They could feel your kindness, which will lead them to repentance, Lord. God, if there are people in this room that are actively in rebellion against authorities in their life, God, I pray that in your kindness, you would convict them. You would convict us, Lord, as a church. And Lord, if there are people in this room who are hurting and broken and have been abused, God, by any sort of King Saul type of people, God, I pray that in this moment, this would be a day that the chains are broken. God, I pray, I pray, Lord, that this would be a day that changes the course of their life, God, that they could lay their hurts, they could lay their wounds at the altar, Lord, and they could be restored. God, they could feel your love, feel your peace, feel your kindness, feel you leading them beside still waters and green pastures, just like you did for David, God. Lord, I pray in this place, Lord, that you would just minister to every person individually as they need. And Holy Spirit, help us to honor and submit above all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
1: Amen, come on, everybody. Let's give God praise for that. Thank you, Lord. And come on, everybody, let's give it up for Cole. before we dismiss for the for the day just uh, a couple things and just to echo what cole said we know that there's a lot of people this message really did hit home for a lot of reasons whether you have been abused or hurt by a delegated authority in your life and because of that you you as far as haven't even submitted your life to the Lord yet you you struggle with believing that there could be a God that is so good and kind and trustworthy that I don't want to I don't want to give that away I don't want to submit we want to help you deal with that today as well as if you just want to recommit we have this card uh, it's in the seat back uh, if you need extra prayer maybe just to get free from some of the hurt that you've experienced and just recommit to um, not letting the enemy rob you of of a healthy spiritual authority in your life. We want to help you today, so don't leave today. If you need something, we're here. We're going to have a team right up front that can pray with you, that can talk with you, Um, and if you fill this out, we'll also have a team that'll reach out to you this week as well, everybody. Amen? All right, so have a great rest of your day. Everybody, again, come see the prayer team if you need anything, and we will see you next Sunday.